This morning, um, uh, we're going to talk about freedom and independence. Fourth of July doesn't always doesn't often land on a Sunday. Talk about our national freedom. Um, can't tell you when the last time was I actually um, did a pledge of allegiance to the flag. You know the the pledge of allegiance actually was written back in the 1800s. And it was, uh, its initial uh, writing was was shorter than what it is. I think it was 27 words. Um, and it was kind of seen as a nationalism thing. Like there's a lot of people coming into our country and we want to stand up for who we are and this is our flag and this is what we're going to do. And the last time it was adapted was in the 1950s. I believe in 1956, Congress actually adapted the change to add uh, one nation under God. Under God was added in the 50s. That phrase was not in there. As you know, the flag represents the original colonies and the stars represent the states. There's something there's something to recognizing and saying who we are as a as a people, as a nation. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to uh, join with me. Uh, I don't remember when, like I said, the last time was I actually said the Pledge of Allegiance. It's been a long, long time. But I think it's a good thing to do on occasion. It's come under a lot of controversy in the last several years. As believers, sometimes we say, you know, well, we're not pledging our allegiance to anything but God. I get that. But what we're saying here is we believe we need to be one nation under God. So, I'm going to ask you if you join with me and stand. Gentlemen, if you have hats on, please take them off. The tradition would be to put your hand over your heart. And we have the words up on the screen for those of you who, those of us. Let's just say the Pledge of Allegiance together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You can be seated. As a nation, we celebrate many different ways. My family, for example, this afternoon will be going down to the lake with some other family, and we're going to be having a picnic, spending a time fellowshipping and grilling and just enjoying some time together. Tonight at dusk, our fair city has fireworks down at the beach. And although it's not permitted this year because of the extreme dry and drought, I know that there are some of you even sitting in this room who are going to be blowing off fireworks tonight, even though we're not supposed to. We celebrate our nation's freedom. And you think about it for a minute. As a nation, we battled for freedom, and there wasn't a whole lot that we were battling for, right? Right? I mean, they didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity. There was no natural grass, no floats, no parades, no internet, no AC, no Amazon, hallelujah, no Google. They weren't fighting because they were Republicans or Democrats, but rather people fought for freedom. Freedom from the control of another nation, religious freedom, so much so that the state cannot run a church. And if you think about this for just a second, 
The fireworks that we shoot off are actually representative of the cannons and the rocket's red glare. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just this easy, hey, we're going to go out and do this. This was a big, a big deal. And you all know in the past year to year and a half, the chaos as a nation that we've faced as a country, I'm not going to review that. I assume that most of you have not been living under a rock for the last year and a half. But as I was preparing for this message, I thought a lot about us as a nation, where we're at, and the founding of our nation, at least from what I've read. I'm old, but I'm not that old, so I don't remember it all. Had to read it. And I know that as a nation, we are not a perfect nation. I wish I could stand up here and say, man, we got this down. If everybody would just do what we did, it would be great. But we've had some failures along the way, right, as a nation. Some of our leaders even have had some failures along the way, right? Some of us in this room have had some failures along the way. Or is that just me? Okay, thank you. Front row over here is being honest anyhow. You think about it, while we were fighting for our own freedom as a nation, we were practicing slavery. Does that not sound just a little crazy? I mean, don't you think somebody should have thought, stepped back and went, this really doesn't make sense. Again, is it just me? Um, all men created evil, evil, liberty and justice. Well, we are, we're all created evil, actually. We're, we'll all fall there. All men were created equal, liberty and justice for all. Like I said, I'd like to stand up here and say that we've done everything right. I believe we live in a great nation, but we certainly did not do it all right. And I know full well that we're, uh, we live in a fallen world, and the only one who ever did it all right was Jesus Christ. But the United States pledges, we pledge, to be one nation under God. I think when we're one nation under God, we could be indivisible. We're very divided right now, right, as a country? Is that maybe because we're not really one nation under God? And maybe because we've got so many divided interests? Billy Graham, in an address to Congress at a congressional prayer breakfast, He said, I believe that there are many times in the history of America when certain men stood for God and it changed the course of its destiny, of our destiny, of of America's destiny. One or two men, women, standing for what's right changed the course of history. His example was during the first Constitutional Congress the delegates were frustrated due to the burdens of the hour. In other words, it was late. They were burdened and harassed by the crisis that the United States was facing. They were so fragmented and so divided that they were just about to throw out the whole concept of a constitution entirely. Can you imagine what we consider one of the greatest documents ever written since the Bible, the constitution? They were so frustrated that they were getting ready to just throw out the whole concept. Forget it. And just then, 
a white-haired gentleman by the name of Benjamin Franklin rose to his feet, and this is what he said, and I quote, Gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And that first Continental Congress got down on their knees and began to pray. One man stood up in the back of the room. One man. He was Benjamin Franklin, but he's still one man. And he said, don't you think that through all this struggle, don't you think we should at least turn to God? He, He hears us. He knows when a petal falls off a flower. He'll hear us in our distress. And when they rose to their feet, From prayer, the slogan, E Pluribus Unum, was born. It's on most of our coins. E Pluribus Unum means one out of many. Now, that's not an original thought, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so the body is not made up of one of many of the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The, Paul addressed the fact that we come from different places, and yet in Christ we're one. That's the whole concept of being one nation under God. If we're not under God, we miss the boat. Now, it's not my intention here to elevate the flag or to elevate the United States to a position of godlike status. But rather, I want us to remember and I want us to think about and I want us to, to focus this morning on the fact that our founders had a very strong God consciousness an awareness of God. And more than that, an awareness of his purpose for our nation. Are we perfect? No. Were they perfect? No. Did they have flaws and failures? Yes. Did they have sin? Yes. But unfortunately, as a nation in recent years, instead of reminding ourselves of the high calling of this nation, instead of, again, turning to God, we've gone into what we call cancel culture. Let me share something with you. Not, not part of my notes. Most of the time during worship, I stand over here and I ask God to change whatever he needs to change. So, I was counseling with a, a woman several years ago and somehow in my conversation with her, I, I asked her if she was married and she was not married. And um, I said, well, have you ever been married? Yeah, I was married Twice. And I said, okay. And so we began talking. I was talking about her relationship. There's a whole, whole reason we came in. We were talking about her relationship with her daughter. She was married twice. And so um, I said, well, you know, is your daughter from your first husband? No, no, no. And she's starting to get all squirrely on me now about this time. And I can tell there's, there's something going on. And so I'm just trying to find out as a pastor, trying to counsel my way through this. I'm trying to figure out what, you know, what, what's the truth here. 
And so the daughter wasn't from the first husband, the daughter wasn't from the second husband, so was she out of wedlock? Well, no, she wasn't out of wedlock. Blah. Well, she said, I'm a believer. I said, okay, I get that. And so she said, my first marriage didn't count. So let me get a hold of this. Which one of your first marriages didn't count then? Well, she said, the Bible says what God has joined together. My first marriage, God didn't join that one together because I wasn't a believer. I'm like, the state of Minnesota says you were married. So listen, here's what happened. Because that was such a bad experience, she decided, and since she wasn't a Christian, she decided to just cancel that one out. So instead of being married three times and having an explanation for this scenario, she just was married twice and canceled that. And I promptly looked at her and I said, do you understand what you have done to your daughter? Do you want to understand now? Can I tell you why you're having such problems with your relationship with your daughter? Well, I don't, well Why? Like, you just made her illegitimate. You just told her her dad didn't count. He might have been a jerk, but you don't just get to cancel that out. You were really married three times, right? Well, I was, but I really was. Stop with I really wasn't. You really was, and your daughter was born out of that, and you've created this tension, and I just want to tell you something. I believe that that was a, a God-inspired moment in that counseling session. And this woman was able to go back to her daughter and repent for that attitude and it changed their relationship instantly. Within, within, within an instant. She admitted the truth. The marriage was, was lousy. She got married before she was a Christian. She had no idea what she was getting into. But instead of canceling that and saying that didn't exist, you're an illegitimate child... She's saying, you know what, we tried and we just failed, it was wrong, please forgive me. And it transformed their relationship. We, we, we live in a culture where we want to take all the wrongs of the past, you know what's gone on in the last year, year and a half. Take down this statue, take down that statue, Cash. this person failed, that person failed. Listen folks, we got to grab the truth and the truth is some of those things happened in our past. I don't care what nation you're under. I don't care what governance you're under. I don't care where you're at. There's stuff as we look back that we should be incredibly proud of. And there's also stuff that happened in our nation that we probably should not be very proud of. As a matter of fact, we might be ashamed or even appalled by. But the truth of the matter is, if we just want to cancel it, we're not going to have anything to reference by, and we're going to walk right out and repeat it again. Right? Because we're not calling it what it was. That was a bad deal. Let's not do that again. Any of us ever try to learn from our pastor? Do we just want to keep banging our head against the same old wall? Somebody said, well, you know, God's going to forgive and forget, and pastor, I have such a hard time, I can't forgive and forget. Well, you can forgive, but forgetting, if you forget every wrong that you ever did or every wrong that, that's called Alzheimer's. We don't want to be there, man. Look, if Raymond and I do a business deal and he, he gives me a dirty deal every time, well, I can forgive him. But I better remember it and not do it again, right? 
Right? I, we, we have to learn from our history. Any nation should be able to look at, at some of the failures that they've had and be able to step away and say, we absolutely do not want to go there again. As I said, I know that there have been moral failures in our, in our past leadership. There have been failures as a nation. But if you would go back and we're going to look at some of these. But if we go back and we look at the founders of our nation, look back at their writings, you see a very, very strong desire to at least be followers of God. We may not have gotten it right often, but we tried to follow God. We, we need to be a nation. We need to be a nation. You, you realize there's no such thing as independence, right? You realize there's no such thing as independence. Yeah, independent businessman. Oh, really? Who buys your product? Because you're kind of dependent on them. I'm an independent businessman. Really? Where do you, where do you buy your product from? Because you're kind of dependent on them. I have three grandkids sitting right over here in the second row. Guess what? They're all pretty dependent. They were, they were born. They, they can all move. They can all breathe on their own. Two of the three of them can actually eat on their own, right? Mostly. They can take care of themselves in the bathroom on their own, mostly. But are they dependent or are they independent? We strive as a nation. We're, we're so proud of the fact that we're independent. Wrong. We need to be dependent upon one another. And, and greater than that is our should be our dependency on God. And as a nation, as soon as we walk away from that dependence on God is when we begin to stumble. We begin to fall. And if we look at our nation, we see that that's exactly what's happened. For freedom, you think about what people have done for freedom. They've toppled empires. They've uprooted civilizations. They've moved halfway across the world. They've given up their families. They've, they've taken their families and run. They've given their own lives. People have done all kinds of things for freedoms. And our, our founders sought political and religious freedom for us. I, again, I believe that it was part of a, a high calling as a nation that God had for us. Listen to what Patrick Henry wrote. It, it, if, you, if you look up this, you know, we all know that he said, give me liberty or give me death. Here, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains or slavery? Is, is life so sweet or, or it's just, it's peaceful, it's easier. I'd rather be in chains and be at peace. Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. You look up that speech, I'll, I'll, I dare you, you'll find about a half a dozen quotes that are very, very quotable quotes. Not just give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry is saying, I can't stand the whole concept of us being in bondage anymore. It's time, this was on the verge of the Civil War. One definition that I read of freedom is, freedom is not being subject to any restraints that keep one from deciding his own destiny. I don't think that's an American thing. I think that's the heart of humanity thing. We want to make our own choices. The Bible 
contains one of the, I think one of the earliest examples of man's quest for freedom. We go back to Exodus chapter one. At this point, Israel is in bondage to Egypt. They're slaves to Egypt. In Exodus one, starting at verse 13, it says, and work them ruthlessly. Speaking of Egypt, work the, the Israelites ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the field. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. We drop down to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It says, during a long period of time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help, uh, and, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In the process of time, any people who are not free become tired of the bondage. And there's this desire for freedom. We, we read about that in slavery in the United States. But Israel here, they do the right thing. They turn to the right source. They turn to God. And God, through Moses, emancipates them, sets them free. But it's not without cost. In order to be freed from the Egyptians' bondage and enter what was called the land of milk and honey, they had to pay the price. I mean, there's freedom, but there's a cost to it. The real price of freedom for Israel was obeying God. You know the real price of freedom for us? is obeying God, right? If we obey God, we'll experience real freedom, not even just freedom running around freedom, but real freedom. You want freedom from guilt and from shame? You struggle with guilt, with, with just waves of guilt from your past? Repent. Repentance is a way that's obeying God. You, you, you struggle from bitterness? I'll tell you how. There's, there's a way to get beyond bitterness, to get free from bitterness. It's called forgiving. But you don't know what they did. It doesn't make any difference what they did. Forgiveness is not about what they did. Forgiveness is about us being set free. It's about us walking in freedom. We still need to obey God. And God knew this. He understood this. Listen to Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Did he just say, Let my people go? Let them go so that they can serve me. They had to keep his commandments. They had to follow his leaders. They had to drive. If you read, this, you read the account, they were supposed to drive godlessness out of the land. And we read down a little bit farther. Even when God delivered the Israelites, he taught them that freedom is not free. In Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war they might change their mind and return to Egypt. So God, let, so God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. God said, I could give you the shortcut, but I'm afraid if I give you the shortcut, hang on to this, hang on to this. He said, I could give you the shortcut, but if I give you the shortcut and you run into any opposition, you might just run back. Keith Green had a song. So you want to go back to Egypt where it's safe and secure, eating leeks and onions by the Nile. 
Oh, what breath, but dining out in style. You, you want to be in bondage. Bondage is easier than fighting for God, giving us freedom. Folks, there's a cost to being free. Jesus knew that. He paid the price for our ultimate freedom, right? He paid the price. There was, there was a cost. And we get to walk in that. Free men who do not follow God are just headed back to bondage. We're not following God. We're going to find ourselves back in bondage. After this people, after these people had gone through all that they had gone through, they became faithless in the wilderness, and they didn't. It was their children who had to pick up the faithfulness to God and go into the freedom, into the promised land. They God delivered them, but they chose in their hearts not. They chose in their hearts to murmur and complain and not to follow after God, and they never experienced freedom anyhow. As a nation, as a people. We can be free to do all kinds of stuff, but if we're free and we choose not to serve God, we're going to walk ourselves into some other kind of bondage. Anyhow, look around. We're doing a really good job of it as a nation, right? All of our freedoms, yet we got more drugs, we got more alcohol, we got more promiscuity, we got more garbage in our life than we've ever had. You don't believe me? Turn on the news, right? Why? Because as a nation, we've opted not to follow God. So we're just going to find our way into another type of bondage. Our forefathers came to America looking uh, because of economic and social and religious oppression. Again, I'm not saying they got it all right, but we're still working out as a nation. 200 plus years later, we're still working out as a nation what it means to be one nation under God. And if we're not looking to being under God, then we're going to miss it. That's why I think it's so important for us as church people to get this because who else is gonna? Are our politicians gonna stand up on a platform and say, you know, if you vote for me, I'm gonna put the Bible back in schools. I'm gonna do everything I can. No, 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 that's gonna take us to do that, right? Y'all are not sure this morning. He's gonna ask us to do something. We know he is. In his publication called The Crisis, Thomas Paine wrote these words. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this confirmation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price on its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Payne's saying freedom's not free. There's a cost. Oh, and by the way, heaven knows what freedom costs because Jesus paid for it. We know that Christians over time have been intimidated. We've been so intimidated by what we can say and what we can't say, and the ACLU says we have to have a separation of church and states and the Constitution, blah, 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 blah. And they've said it so many times that we actually believe it, but in case you do not know, the phrase separation of church and state never appears in the United States Constitution. It was actually coined in a letter um, from Thomas Jefferson who wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association assuring them that he would keep government out of church. 
not keep church out of government. He was saying, never again will there be government-sponsored church like you had back in England where everyone is forced to attend and support. You can check it out for yourself. Read the First Amendment. It actually says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. If there is such a thing as separation in church and state, it is intended as a one-way street and the government will never be in the church of the United States. It doesn't mean the church can't be in the government. Our forefathers wanted us to understand, I believe, that there was a greater purpose to the United States, that this freedom was not free that we need to stand up and we need to seek God. And I believe as a people, we've just rolled over and we've just let the enemy run us into the ground. Think about this, okay? Our first president, George Washington, took the oath of office and what did he do? He put his hand on the Bible. Put his hand on the Bible. After his first... After that, his first official act as president is he kissed the Bible and he had a two-hour worship service. That was our first president. Um, Congress actually determined, Congress determined themselves that every session of Congress needs to be opened with prayer. Congress decided that. Congress also decided that those prayers would be led by chaplains, not by congressmen doesn't sound like they were trying to keep out of God keep God out of government and I think that that opening of prayer is kind of a mystery that should be investigated I mean why is it that little boys and girls in school cannot pray but adult congressmen can do who decided to put in God we trust on our coins somebody just slipped that in nope Congress decided that In 1776, 11 of the 13 colonies required that you had to be a Christian in order to be eligible to run for office. Do you think they wanted to keep God out of government? In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to spend $300,000 to purchase Bibles for distribution in the United States. $300,000. Congress spent that. Do you know how much that's worth today? Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. $9,282,586.20, roughly. Congress decided then to spend $9 million to get Bibles in everybody's hand. What are they spending it on today? Internet. Internet's fine. What's the highest rated trafficking thing on Internet? Pornography. Let's get back to the Bible. Hey, I think that's a good option. The Gettysburg Address states that this nation under God shall have new birth of freedom. That was Lincoln. 94% of the writings of the founding fathers contained quotes from scriptures. Every state constitution in the United States mentions God. On the first Thanksgiving, who were the people giving thanks to? God. The Liberty Bell has part of Leviticus 25.10 inscribed on it. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Scripture. 
Proverbs uh, 1434 is inscribed above the Los Angeles City Hall door. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You think government was trying to keep religion out? You think our founding fathers were trying to keep God out of politics? No. There's an image of Moses carrying the stone tablets from, from God's law. That faces the house, the speaker of the house of representative. Speaker of the house, they sit there. Right across from them is an image of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. The entering president, every entering president, takes his courtroom oath of office with his right hand on the Bible, and he concludes his vow with saying, So help me God. The first vice president and second president, John Adams, wrote in 1798, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to government of any other, to the government of any other. Folks, it it works if we seek after God. Our founding fathers wanted us as a nation to seek after God. President uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote this. In 1781, listen to this quote, 1781, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. In the 1700s, he was worried about God's justice on our nation because of sin. How much more today? John Quincy Adams said, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. At the Constitutional Convention in 1787, Benjamin Franklin again says, God governs the affairs of men and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an entire, that an, it is probable that an empire can rise with, is it probable? God governs the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? No way. No way. The Christian writings and the pronouncements of Abraham Lincoln would fill an entire book. He said this when he assumed leadership over the nation on the brink of civil war. Listen to this. This is 1863, and this should, this should shake us. We have been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of the blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sin, and to pray for clemency and for forgiveness, 1863. I believe Abraham Lincoln was making a clear and direct reference to Second Chronicles chapter 17, 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Folks, I could go on and on and on. I cut it at 13 pages. I started this morning with 40 pages of quotes. 40 pages of quotes from our founding fathers talking about how much we needed God in our land and in our heart. And this nation will not work until we do that. It won't. It won't. I believe God has a plan and a purpose for America still. Teddy Roosevelt wrote this. In this actual world, a churchless community, a community where men have abandoned and scoffed at or ignored their religious needs, it is a community on the rapid downgrade. He wrote that in 1917. He said, if you don't have God in your community, your community is going downhill. Harry Truman, who was not even known to be a believer, said this. He, didn't, he wasn't even a believer, okay? Or if he was, he kept it quiet. He said this. If men and nations would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. You don't even have to be a believer to recognize what Scripture can do. Moses delivered the Ten Commandments from God, and this is how he addressed the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be written on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Now, we all get upset when a little kid's walk through the house with a marker. Woo, 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 woo. But we're told by Moses, write these things on the wall. Write them on plaques. Get them on your wall. Get them on your door frames. We should know what God's word has to say to us. And if we don't, we're going to miss it every time. Every time. Every time. The first of those commandments, by the way, is I am the Lord your God and have no other gods before me. One nation under God. One nation under God. One nation under God. We are only one nation under God if we as a people will follow God. Amen? Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I pray that as we have looked at these different quotes, as we've looked at your word, we see it's, it's in the heart of every human being to be free. But if we don't follow after you, if we don't follow after the source of real freedom, real spiritual freedom, heart freedom, we're going to find ourselves in bondage again and again and again. God, I pray that that even just in this little church, this little gathering of people, one by one, we say, okay, God, we just we want to follow you. We want to follow you. We want to follow you. And I know, God, that the reason most people are here is because they're following. You could say already, well, we're here, Pastor. There's those little dark corners of our life, God, where we need you to set us free. We need you to set us free. We need you, God, to set us free. We need to follow after you, even in those areas, those regions where we kind of want to keep to ourselves. Until we follow after you, we're not going to experience real freedom. God, this morning, I pray for our nation. I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president. 
God, I ask that you would move in their hearts and their lives. I pray for our Congress today. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts and their lives. God, I pray that you would, you would direct their hearts. Lord, that you would transform and change. God, I pray in the middle of the night you would speak to them. Father, you'd bring every, every member of our, of our Congress to a point of saying, I need to accept this life called Christianity. I need to accept Jesus Christ. I need the forgiveness that God affords me. God, I pray that you'd bring them, you'd bring repentance. I pray you'd bring peace to our nation. Lord, I know there's gonna be struggles that we go through. That's what your word says. But we pray, God, that you'd bring salvation to our nation again. Cause us to be a nation that truly does follow after you from the least to the greatest. God, that our heart's desire would be to serve you as a nation. When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, your strength. And the second is unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. God, I pray that that would be who we become as a nation, who we'd become known for as a people in this great nation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day and go spread life. Amen.